This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. You know, it's another beautiful day. It is. Another beautiful show with Let's Go There with Sharon Ryan. Look at you with the positivity. I'm, well, you know, I'm, I'm especially happy because guess what? We're no longer going to be hearing about Sharon and her relationship over the radio. We've gotten your complaints and we're clearing it up. <laughs> I've signed an agreement. Yes. Yeah, she, she, we're like, <laughs> no more conversations about you and your relationship because now, guess what? What? She's going on our first date tonight. Not me. Nope. Me. <laughs> Hello. Um, yeah, I'm going on a date tonight, y'all, and I'm very, very nervous about it. It's a guy that I've been I met on the app. Cute. Um, and um we've been texting, FaceTiming. We were supposed to hang out last Saturday, but uh, I got pink eye somehow. That was an aw- awful experience. And now we're meeting up for dinner tonight, and I'm like so nervous. i I haven't had um male flirtatious attention in a while. I feel like you have, but you don't recognize it, but then also you haven't really had a date like this in a while. Exactly. My The last date that I was on was back in August. Ooh, that's a long time. You're rusty. Yeah, I'm a little rust. And so, I'm excited. We're going to get some drinks. I'm going to go get my hair cut. Oh. I got a cute outfit on right now. And, um, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm really nervous, guys. So, maybe you'll just hear me just blurt out nervousness about my first date or... Um, if you want to hit us up and DM us at LGT Show to give me some first date tips, slide into our DMs because I would love them. You know, I'm here for a reason. No. <laughs> no. No. Well, we'll want the <laughs> updates definitely on tomorrow's show. What if I hate him? Then that's the update. <laughs> but what if you... We fall in love. You know, love at first sight. What Maybe. if you have, like we talked yesterday, a, t- a, tw- a twin, twin flame? flame. <laughs> Watch out. Oh, my God. Well, uh, lots coming up on the show today. It's National Herpes Awareness Day. Yes, yes. So we're going to be talking about how we end the stigma, and I'm going to be sharing a very personal story of mine. She's coming to the Red Table Talk. Yeah, exactly. We're going to have a nice conversation. That's at 325 p.m. Pacific, 625 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Plus, Katie Couric, uh, she's coming out about what she kept from the public about a big political figure. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out if her memoir is... In her best interest. (laughs) Someone should have been like, maybe you shouldn't. Seriously. (laughs) That's in the T-Report in a moment. First, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Apple CEO Tim Cook and NBA All-Star Dwayne Wade joined Utah leaders today to announce the completion of a local advocacy group's campaign to build new homes that provide services for LGBTQ youth in the U.S. West. 
The nonprofit in Circle is providing mental health services for LGBTQ youth. And guess what? They surpassed their goal of raising $8 million to build eight new homes with locations in Arizona, Idaho, Nevada, and Utah, aimed at providing safe spaces and preventing teen suicide. That's amazing. So uh, good on Tim Cook for putting together this group. Now, uh, President Joe Biden announced today that three of the largest U.S. goods carriers, Walmart, FedEx and UPS, will up their efforts to address supply chain issues. I'm just saying your favorite products might not be available come holiday season. Retailers have already begun warning all of us that this is an issue. He said, never again should our country and our economy be unable to make critical products we need because we don't have access to materials to make that product. Never again should we have to rely too heavily on one company or one country or one person in the world, particularly when companies don't share our values when it comes to labor and environmental standards. Good on him for saying all this. It's unfortunate that we're making a change because of this labor shortage in these circumstances, but it's been needing to happen for a while. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Well, Katie Couric has just admitted that in a 2016 interview, she withheld Ruth Bader Ginsburg's harshest comments on kneeling during the national anthem. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So here's the thing. She really is just telling all in her new book. Um, She said this, the editing was done in an effort to protect the late Supreme Court justice. Um, She wrote in her memoir, which was obtained by the Post. She revealed in the the actual, the the book is called Going There, which is out October 26th. Uh, she felt that Ginsburg, who was 83 at the time of the interview, may not have totally gotten what Keurig was asking her. She said she was elderly and probably didn't understand the question she explained in this book. Um, my thing is, I think RBG is a pretty smart woman. And even at in her old age, she still gets it. And yeah. she's, I mean, she can be on the Supreme Court. I feel like she understands your question, Miss Couric. Mm-hmm. Um, this interview was eventually published by Yahoo News. Um, and it did include Ginsburg saying that she believes that not standing during the national anthem as an act of protest is dumb and disrespectful. It did not include her strongest condemnations of the act, according to Keurig. Katie said this, being a, quote, big fan, RBG fan, and feeling protective of her and the controversy the comments would likely embroil her in, she wrote in her book this, that she lost a lot of sleep and felt extremely conflicted over deciding whether she should have included Ginsburg's full thoughts on the matter. What type of journalist are you? Yeah, like that's I mean, unfortunate. We're hearing all of these things from how she's, uh, you know, she she did what she did for what's his name, Matt Law, whatever, Matt Lauer, whatever his name is, and then of course now this, it's like your memoir is just revealing how maybe crappy of a journalist you are. Yeah, a lot of um, questionable things. Yeah, that's your T report. We got more coming up next hour. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. The show's getting good. Yes. Next up, why Biden's approval rating has fallen, and what one way he can do, what's one thing that he can do to bounce back from this? We're going to get into that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, the numbers are out. Half of Americans approve of President Biden's performance as president, according to this new CNN poll that was quickly shared by White House staff. After a bunch of tough polling numbers, the president's approval is down actually slightly from 52 percent in a September CNN poll. And the survey found Americans 
were divided on Biden's work to unify the country and how to proceed with his economic agenda. Joining us again is Doug Usher, a partner at Forbes Tate Partners. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Shira. So is this that big of a deal or is it pretty normal at this point in a presidency to have numbers like that? You know, I think that CNN poll is pretty optimistic. Actually, if you look across the polling, he's probably down into the mid-40s. And it's not great. I'll be totally honest. And I'm a Democrat, and I want him to do well. But he's had a pretty steady trajectory down over the last three or four months. And, um, you know, he has an agenda that's hanging in the balance and midterms coming up soon enough. So um, there's definitely some panic going on around the White House and in Congress. As there should, because a Pew Research Center poll found that from July to September, Biden's approval rating fell by 18 points among black voters, 16 points among Hispanics and 12 points among women. I'm really drawing in on the the black voters and the Latinx voters because he had such a large amount when he was running of support from, you know, POC communities. And now it seems like he's not living up to any of the promises that he he left and he's losing that support. Is that really hurting him in a way where he might not be able to get it back? I think there's I think that's definitely part of it. I mean, if you look at it more from a broad trend things really started to dip with the combination of the Delta variant growing in the summer and then the withdrawal from Afghanistan that was perceived to be um, really uh, reckless. Um, Now, with all that said, there's no question that as you see drops like this, you're going to see drops across the board. So if you've seen an eight to 10 point drop overall, you know that you're seeing losses among some of the core is certainly a problem. Um, I think to get to get all voters back and to get them back is, you know, the key is to pass um, the build back better plan and the infrastructure plan. You know, nothing, nothing does well, uh, does, does better than success. And I think a legislative victory, which points out specific things that help all of the communities you mentioned, as well as the economy is what's going to be critical to try to get them on solid footing. Yeah, I mean, you said it. I was going to ask what the one thing is he needs to do to change this, but that's basically... I mean, you have to act, you know, and at a certain point, um, you know, he staked his presidency on how he's doing against COVID. Clearly, um, there was a pretty big hiccup with Delta that's fading, uh, but that's going to be something that's always an overriding things. But the reality is the economy is not doing great, except for those at the very top. And... The, the plans he's put together, you know, it's not easy to get these things passed. And after, if we were to pass them in the next month or two, there'd be plenty of time to start to see their impact. But you got to pass the legislation. Otherwise, there's nothing to point to. I just am like, I guess for me, because even my position, unfortunately, like if he does run again in, in 2024 for a second term, which he probably will, you know, it's going to be very difficult for me to, like, want to vote for him again, if I'm being quite honest, because a lot of the things that we've seen, yes, there's a lot of going on towards infrastructure, which is very important. But, honey, people weren't out in the streets protesting for potholes. You know, like, we were, they were, there was actual legitimate things that people were protesting on. So I just don't feel like, especially when it comes to younger voters and, and what Democrats really need to kind of push them over the edge if a Trump decides to run again, is that trust that he probably kind of lost when it comes to young voters. Mm. I mean, that's always the problem that you face both as president, but also as a candidate, which is to say, do you work hard for the base um, or do you try to reach out to other voters? And are the things that you do for your base, things that could alienate other voters? There's no question Biden won 
with strong support from communities of color. Um, but Hillary Clinton also got her vote based on those groups as well. Biden did better than Trump because he also expanded reach into states in the Midwest and to voters that had moved to Trump in the earlier election. So one of the challenges, of course, is you make all these promises, but to deliver on them could potentially alienate certain other segments of the electorate. I'm not suggesting that I have the answer, which is the calculation that they have to make. Definitely. Well, hopefully something shifts at a certain point. And polls are like, also, we've learned that they're probably not the best resource sometimes. Because <laughs> yeah. they can be wrong. I mean, they can be so no, wrong. I, I, look, I, I, I'm a pollster, and I've been, I've actually been selling fewer polls and telling my clients, look, I can't be sure this is right. It's going to give you the guidance. But I, I think it's, it, 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 you can trust that his numbers are down. What the exact number is, I don't know. Yeah. But you know, I wouldn't sit here and say, oh, his polls are wrong. He's doing fine. Right. I mean, that's really what you got to figure out. And the reality is, if if Trump were to run again, that's Biden's best friend. You know. I mean, then you can say, again, if you were really sort of cynical, you can say, look, these folks that supported me, they can go back to Trump or they can stick with me and at least be much better by having the status quo. Yeah. Okay. well, that was Doug Usher, partner at Forbes Tate Partners. Thank you again, as always. Okay, my pleasure. Next up, the World Health Organization just approved a malaria vaccine for children. Why that's such a big deal. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The World Health Organization recommended its first malaria vaccine for children on October 6, 2021. It feels like a huge deal. Like it a is. breakthrough moment. Yeah, it's being held by the UN agency as a historic moment. We're living through it. I mean, that's exciting. Joining us right now is Dr. Miriam Laufer, who's an associate director for malaria research at the Center for Vaccine Development and Global Health at University of Maryland School of Medicine. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here. So why is this such a big deal? So malaria is the single bug that kills the most people in the world. It affects hundreds of hundreds of millions of children every year and kills about 400,000 of them, mostly children in sub-Saharan Africa. And so this vaccine really been we've been waiting it for it for decades, but it's the first vaccine that we've found that's both both been reasonably effective in preventing malaria and has actually made it through all the clinical trials and the regulatory process to get to the point of being recommended by the World Health Organization. Wow. So how effective will the vaccine be compared to other treatments? So that's a great question. Um, The vaccine prevents about 30% of severe disease, and that's the sort of form of malaria that's most likely to cause death. It is being used now in the context of other interventions, too. So everyone who lives in malaria endemic countries is supposed to sleep under bed nets. So when we do these clinical trials, all the kids, or at least most of the kids, are sleeping under bed nets. One of the things that's, things that's great about this vaccine is it even it really improves equity. So kids who don't have access to a bed net, many of them do have access to the vaccine. So what you find is that by vaccinating, having this vaccine program that really is spread out throughout um, all these very remote, remote rural areas, kids who don't have access to a bed net have access to the vaccine. And then we're protecting a lot more kids, at least with one intervention. Definitely. It's taken so long to get here. And it's interesting that it comes this historic moment as the debate around vaccines continues and we're in such a divided 
time and place around the idea of vaccines. And we're seeing something here where, it, you know, so many kids have died because of malaria. And this is um, an amazing thing to save lives. It is. You know, we've we've seen that with some um, infections like COVID-19, when there's a lot of political will, um, we can make things happen very quickly. It took a lot longer for malaria vaccines for many reasons. Malaria is a very complicated um, bug. And also because there's no real first world market for malaria vaccines, it took a long time to develop to get even to this point. Um, so we're, you know, those of us who think about kids in low resource settings, this is really a historic event. Yeah. And you kind of did just touch on it because I think everyone wonders this, right? When it comes to these announcements and just vaccines in general and, and the future of like, you know, diseases that can really be uh, treated, what takes it so long? I know it's a money thing, but then also like, it feels like, is it just a good time for vaccines right now? Like where everyone's, <laughs> it's just connecting the science. I think this particular situation, it just is serendipitous. So there's there's a couple of reasons why it took so long to develop a malaria vaccine. So first, a little perspective on the COVID vaccine. We didn't just start developing the COVID vaccine from Mm -hmm. scratch in January of 2020. Right. There was a lot of virology research around other coronaviruses related ones like the SARS virus and the MERS virus as well as other coronaviruses. So we knew a lot about that family of viruses due to previous research. And there was already a lot of attention to the mRNA technology um, that was used to develop the COVID-19 vaccines. And so previous research really did lay the groundwork to allow us to get to such a rapid development and deployment of um, a a safe and effective COVID vaccine. Mm. What's different with malaria? One is malaria is a much, much more complicated, complex organism. So COVID has somewhere in the order of 20 proteins and malaria has thousands of proteins. With COVID, we know that the spike protein is the protein that's responsible for invading cells and therefore that's what we want the target of the vaccine to be. And with malaria, we still don't really know what the best target is. The target that we use now for the RTSS vaccine, the vaccine that was just approved, is good, but not as effective as as the COVID vaccine, probably because there's a lot of other proteins involved and not just the one that's the target of the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So the complexity of the parasite yeah. has really, I think that's really the main reason it's taken this long. And yeah. then does it quickly get distributed now? Like how do they orchestrate that? Because I know this is really uh, internationally for so many third world uh, countries, this is so needed. So that is, um, I would say the million dollar question, but we probably got to add some zeros to that. That's really <laughs> the question now. So in the malaria community, we all are in agreement that adding a vaccine will be very beneficial. Um, And the question is, where is the money going to come from? So the the people in charge of the purse strings now say, oh, you know, we we already are spending all of our money on our current interventions and the interventions work that, you know, use of bed nets, effective treatment. None of these things are things we're willing to give up. So where will the funding come from to buy vaccine and to support the vaccine distribution efforts? Um, on the other hand, as you say, we're in the in this world now where all of a sudden billions of dollars 
became available to create, buy, distribute, administer a COVID-19 vaccine. And so it does seem that if there, when there's a will, people will find a way. So we're very hopeful that um, there'll be advocacy and support around sort of gen- basically generating new funds yeah. to the to buy the vaccine, to have enough doses for all the kids in malaria endemic countries, and also to make sure to be able to deliver them. Okay, well, that was Dr. Miriam Lawfer, Associate Director for Malaria Research at the Center for Vaccine Development and Global Health, University of Maryland School of Medicine. Thank you so much again. We appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Sounds like good news to me. Yes, all good things. Well, next up, the latest Republican talking point when it comes to trans-inclusive policies at schools and how this person put... Everyone on a blast with Laura Ingram. Yikes, that's next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. As trans policies continue to be attacked at schools across the country, parents who are also on the wrong side continue to come out just throwing out really problematic stuff into the ether. Um, And so at a school board meeting, this one father talked about how his daughter was attacked by a boy wearing a skirt at their high school, Stonebridge High School. And... This gave him an opening to basically talk about how trans policy should not be enacted and continue. And, you know, he used this as a way to continue to push transphobic hate. You have the clip, right? Yeah. Let's and play it. Was this from the Laura Ingram? Yeah. So let, let's. Yeah. So after this happened and he the story was shared, he appeared on the Ingram angle, you know, Laura Ingram, where he talked about what happened. Basically, my daughter was sexually assaulted at the end of school in May of last year. And, um, you know, I went to the school board meeting, you know, to see what was going on because I I had seen all this crazy stuff on TV. And I went to see what was going on after my daughter had been assaulted. And, um, you know, there was some crazy stuff being talked about, you know, you know, people for things, for against things. I wasn't there for any 
you know, I'm good with gay people, cross-gender people, everybody. Anybody who wants to be a good American. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, there's, there's several things about this story yeah. that just feels a little, like, one intense. So if this was to have happened to his daughter, I think, yes, the school has an obligation to make sure that all students are safe, no matter what. And yep. apparently this boy that actually did this has been a he has been um, arrested and he's actually in uh, juvenile um, because it actually he's had several different charges for allegedly assaulting a different girl at a different school and he's now in a, ju a juvenile detention center, right? And so this boy who hasn't been named because he's a, he's young, he, he's been arrested and, and he's actually, this is a problem that he's doing. Um, there's also another aspect of the reason why this man, he ended up getting escorted out and police were kind of involved of escorting him out during the school board meeting is because there is um, the attorney general, um, pulling up his name right Merrick now. Merrick Garland. Yes, Merrick Garland. He actually, there's an order from, you know, the President Biden for the National School Board Association to, they basically ask to protect angry, um, protect school staff from angry parents who get really upset and try to, you know, it's a safety well, issue. Well, between this and COVID, there's a lot of threats happening. Exactly. And so he's upset that he wasn't able to spew off and, and, and kind of be as passionate as he wanted to be in this space, which really felt like he was probably being very angry. And, and of course, I get it. It's your daughter. It's your child, right? My issue here when it comes to the trans policies of it all is conflating the two. This boy who mm -hmm. showed up to school who is not trans, because I feel like with certain trans policies, there's a right way of doing things. And there's a there's a a, um, a system that has to happen when there's a trans child at that school. They have to be notified. Parents have to notify them, blah, blah, blah. So everyone knows. This random boy showing up at school in a skirt when he's not wearing a skirt Monday through Friday when he's at that school should have thrown off some alarms for teachers or for the principal or for anyone that saw that being like, wait a second. This, this is not okay. This is you right? taking advantage of the system. It's actually an insult to and the even trans if it, community. Even if it it was that he that boy was trying to like figure yeah, out his own totally. thing, there still should have been a proper protocol mm -hmm. of figuring that out. Yeah. This, this moment right here, unfortunately, when it comes to Republican talking points, often this is the big scary thing that a trans person is going to go and attack a cisgender person for using the bathroom. It's what they use. It's it's the argument they always and use. And it feels lazy. It feels inappropriate. It's not okay because trans folks are just trying to mind their damn business and because there's a there's a person that is out here doing these things should not be now conflated and being as a representative of why trans folks should not be able to have the same rights when it comes to just going to the same school and being able to use the bathroom that makes them feel as comfortable as possible. And so for me, it's like, yes, please get the just do, you know, just that your daughter deserves and, the, and, and hold this school accountable for protecting your your daughter. But also the school said that they had no um, there was no incident reports. No one has filed a re like they had no clue of an assault um, that actually happened. The superintendent, Scott Ziegler, said the school has never had any form of incident inside a bathroom or locker room involving a trans child. Um, and, you know, it, it just feels like there's a lot of missing things. And when you go on mm -hmm. Fox News to be a victim, 
it's just one of those things that can be conflated. Also, to this just person has trans harassment has been arrested and is yeah. a juvenile. It's not like yeah, he just got let go. Exactly. Like, exactly. Justice has been served. The lesson is being learned. It wasn't right. Yeah. But yeah, don't bring the whole trans community into it. Yeah, and I just hate that because it's so problematic yeah. and it's one of the reasons why trans folks get, you know, killed and mm-hmm. they're looked at, you know, crazy just because they want to live their life. And so it's important. Um, well, next up we get real about herpes on National Herpes Awareness Day. So stick around for that and more on what's trending this hour. Come on, herpes! Yes. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back and lots coming up, including how we can destigmatize herpes and STDs. That's in the next 15 minutes. I just want to say, take a shot if you are in a safe spot every time we say herpes on today's know, show. Right? It's going to be a lot, but it's going to be educational. Yes. And it's going to be touching. Yeah, because either you've been impacted by it personally or you know someone has. All right. You might want to get tested to find out exactly. if you are. Because sexual health is so important to know about yours and mm-hmm. your partner's. Uh, and we got some tea with Ryan in a moment involving Ooh. Sharon Osbourne. Oh, God, I'm yes. so over her. Okay, let's get into some What's Trending This Hour. Net star James Harden responded to Kyrie Irving being benched until complying with vaccine guidelines in New York. Kyrie believes in his beliefs, and he stands firm and strong on that. And for us, uh, we respect it. You know, we, we all love Kai. Um, but as far as us, we have a, a job to do. You know, and, you know, individually myself, you know, I'm still, you know, wanting to set myself up for a championship. This is who? This is the Kyrie? No, this is James Harden responding to it. Oh, Chad, there's just so many people that play sports. No, yeah, he, yeah, there are a lot of names (laughs) out there. Now, uh, the 125th Boston Marathon returns on Monday after being called off in 2020 because of the pandemic. Eight years after the 2013 Boston Marathon bombing, which led to the deaths of three spectators and a police officer, this is actually happening today as that, you know, uh, is being announced and talked about. The Supreme Court is looking to reinstate the death sentence of Zokar Sarnev, one of the two brothers involved in the attack. Um, So... You know, there's two sides to this. Obviously, the tragedy of what happened, and then it's nice that they are coming back this coming Monday. And uh, finally, Mexican Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador on Wednesday cheered a U.S. decision to open their shared border in November to fully vaccinated legal travelers after more than a year of pandemic restrictions. But he added that the precise date was still being worked out. U.S. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas earlier said U.S. borders with Canada and Mexico would reopen in November for fully vaccinated travelers after being closed to non-essential crossings since March 2020 because of the pandemic. So, yes, Mexico very soon. I'm going to Canada to see my family. It's all good in the hood. Let's get into some tea, though. What's going on, Ryan? Oh, my God. Sharon Osbourne is clearly not over that big scandal that made her leave the talk. It's time for the Tea Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So Sharon Osbourne has been uh, has basically slammed her former bosses on the talk, calling them, quote, weak women with no backbone for not defending her against the allegations of racism that led to her departure from the show. So she did all this talking uh, during an interview on the one and only, the unfortunate Megyn Kelly show on Sirius XM, of all places. And she literally dragged 
the head of CBS Daytime and her showrunner is saying that they went from longtime friends to destroying her career. She said this, I think that the showrunners were doing what Amy had told them to do. Amy is the CBS Daytime uh, head. And she said, weak, weak women that didn't have a backbone to turn around and say, this is suicidal. We can't do this. And to let it go after the break. So it was 20 minutes on national TV of bashing me. 20 minutes. They just, it blindsided me. Mm. She said they were friends of mine, especially Kristen Matthews, who was one of the showrunners. Uh, she said, and I told them that they destroyed me. I told them that I will never be able to get over this. It's like once you have that seed put on you that you are a racist, it never goes away. I told them they destroyed me. Here's the thing. Maybe she's not a racist, but in that moment, she she had some really problematic behavior that was a lesson on how you move, maneuver and how white people whiteness and white people can get really offended by the R word instead of listening and get very defensive instead of just hearing what mm-hmm. other folks have to say. So there was a lesson still that you needed to learn there but also Sharon, get a damn therapist. <laughs> Stop true. going on interviews talking about your business. Go tell somebody that you pay your business. That's your team report. I'm done talking about it. Thank you for the advice. <laughs> Uh, Well, next up, how to approach your own sexual health and be honest about STDs. Yes, we're talking about herpes and more next. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more rings, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Modelo, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house and owning it. Having an advocate who can help you navigate negotiations, timelines, inspections, and more can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a realtor can do for you, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, if you've been wondering why we've been saying herpes all show, it's because it's National Herpes Awareness Day, and it's an opportunity to raise awareness around the causes, risk, and treatment of different types of herpes infections, particularly genital herpes. And we think it's very important here on the show to talk about sexual health in Mm -hmm. every facet, in every way, no matter where you identify in the sexual fluidity scale. And um, our very own, actually, uh, Sheila Zarr. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, you. Um, you actually had a moment of truth where you really came, you came, you're at a place in your life where you were able to just like come to terms with something and just also like beautifully let the world know. Yes. So why this connects to me today yes. is because, yes, I, I myself got herpes over 10 years ago and it was something that I've been very quiet, secretive, and ashamed by Mm -hmm. for many years. And it took really only until recently through a lot of my own personal growth, inner work, therapy, to come to terms to it 
and get to a place where I can actually speak up about it and have the yeah. courage to talk about it with not just close friends or family. And maybe those aren't even people you have these, what you would consider TMI discussions uh, with. Which are most of your discussions. <laughs> Let's be <laughs> uh, But even have the courage to tell the people you're with. Yeah. Right? A lot of people unfortunately do not disclose because of the stigma around it and the shame around it. Well, here's the thing. If you, I, I'm, I'm, I remember when we even talked about it and you told me, I remember it was always the H word. It was always like you would either whisper it, you would never even like, <laughs> even in, in our private conversation, yeah. you wouldn't even say it. And so, well, let's what, be clear. Wait, what happened was, you know, in the studio, and and we all have done this, right. and we've been in these spaces where people will be making jokes about herpes, right? right? And so this would happen in the studio here, mm-hmm. where these jokes would come up, and finally, I think one day, or not even jokes, actually, um, more the idea of like, oh my God, I don't know what I would do if that happened. Right, right. Right? And then finally, one day, I just said, well, guess what? I have it. Well, I actually knew before we got, we were here. Like, we had conversations way before we even started this that I remember us having. Really? Yes, I remember us I don't ha- remember like, that. Like, rem- I remember us, it was either happening where at I thought last the first place. time it was here with Vanessa. No, I think that was the first time Vanessa knew. Oh. Not when I knew. I knew before that. And so, I, I just, I think I noted that is because I see your growth and even in the moments where... You were getting more comfortable, but like you had those moments where you still couldn't even like say the word. And I, I guess for our listeners, if you want to talk about it, which of course we're talking, we're opening up. Yeah, we're here. Take us back to the moment you first found out. Yeah. So, you know, after being intimate with someone, not using protection, (laughs) which is why it's important to use protection. Yeah. Or at least just having these conversations, right? Um, and I wasn't having these conversations, but yeah, I started getting itchy down there. Uh, it got to the point where I'm like, mm, this doesn't look normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of blue. Uh, should I describe it? I mean, yeah, okay. It's a little graphic. So I uh, went to my gyno and she basically tested everything, diagnosed me, and I had that OMG moment, right? And I kind of just went into my own hole, right? Mm-hmm. And didn't talk about it with anyone, didn't share about it, even to the p- person I thought had probably given it to me. That's how ashamed I was. I continued being with that person and never even talked about it with them. Wow, see, I didn't know that. I yeah. knew you hadn't Which shows really how, disclosed. Sca- uh, how scared I was about just like having those uncomfortable conversations with partners, specifically with men. Yeah. This idea for me, as I've done a lot of the work, my realization how, of how scared I was of rejection because that was really a sign of how unworthy I felt about myself. Well, I know people who are probably listening are probably like, well, if you were feeling that shame now and like now you're in a place where you're able to talk about it publicly, that means you've also been able to disclose to your previous partners. How is that? How Uh, is that? Well, that was the whole thing. After I record this podcast um, that dropped today with sexologist Shan Boudram, who's Uh also been on our show, it's called the Friends and Lovers Podcast. Yes, are the Lovers and Friends. Lovers and Friends yeah. Podcast. She just started it last mm-hmm. week, so second episode. Um, but the day after, I actually, well, I was getting so much anxiety. There was two sides of it where I felt really proud of myself and it felt like this weight lifted off my shoulders. But then a new weight came on of there are people that I have been with yeah. that I hadn't shared this with. And so I literally called like in one day. A bunch of people, and some of them I hadn't spoken to in years. Yeah. 
to have the talk. Did you talk? Did you did you end up talking to the guy that you feel like maybe gave it to you? I have not talked to him. Yeah, I mean, like he's someone I haven't. It's been a long, long, long time. Wow. Yeah. Uh, did they take it well? Did the people like the I, people you came out? Uh, well, most of them to? actually really did, and it was really surprising. I mean, I, I guess you know it, it just showed to me what you can create in your head around this whole thing. Yeah. Right. And that most of the guys I've been with, it also made me feel really good about some of the guys I'd been with, whether it be more seriously or casually been with, that some of them were just like most of them really cool about it, really loving, saying like, this is why I love you, Sherry. You always like have the courage to do this and really put yourself out there. It felt really good. There was, of course, you know, like one person that wasn't happy and that made sense. I was ready for that. Yeah. Right. You know, that comes with it, right? That That comes comes with the territory. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, but that whole experience was really eye-opening. And one, it showed the power of the stories we tell ourselves. And the more you share your truth and you are who you are, the more the right people will, you know, say yes to that. The wrong people will ultimately say no. Yeah, and I think the reason why you felt such shame around it is because how society has really groomed us and misogyny in the picture, which is why... We're going to keep this conversation going because I, we're going to have a guest on to kind of talk mm-hmm. about really getting rid of that shame. Yeah, this person is amazing. She runs the STI Project. Literally, she has dedicated her life to STIs and talking about all yeah. this stuff. So we're going to talk about destigmatizing all of it next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. As we've been mentioning, it's National Herpes Awareness Day. Oh my God, everyone's drunk if they're following yes. our drinking Take game. Take a shot. Take a shot every time we say herpes. Uh, and someone who I've been very inspired by is joining us right now. Actually, well, we I We had like, to bring the best for your yes, big day. Um, I Instagram stalked her basically before I went on Shan Boudron's podcast to talk about my experience having herpes. Mm-hmm. I like literally just took in all her great information that she has about STIs and herpes and um, she's really incredible. She's a certified sexuality educator, executive director of the STI Project. Janelle Marie Pierce, welcome to the show. It is my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and congratulations for your out day. I guess her sharing day. I don't want to co-op to another. It's her disclosure day. Disclosure day. Yeah, it's her disclosure day. That's that's how I've been speaking about it. But it's it's just so wild to me. And I'm happy that you're here because it's just wild to me that we're in 2021 and that the stigma is so strong. Like, it has a hold on, unfortunately, our culture, and it's so unfortunate. Why do you think that is? Oh, it's absolutely ridiculous, too, right? Because it's such a common experience, but no one is talking about it, or very few. And then when someone does, it's like you can hear a pin drop in the room and this like in this proverbial ideal internet space of like, oh, she didn't like she or they didn't they they didn't just say that and like yes absolutely because this is a common experience and yes it's not ideal right no one wants a new infection I don't want COVID or the cold or a flu, etc. I don't want to catch poison ivy for mm-hmm. goodness sakes but these things happen. So why aren't we talking about them in a practical way of like, yeah, I don't love it. It's not comfortable or it's not wonderful, but this happens and I'm going to move on with my life because it's not about me. It's just a thing that happens. It's a part of being human. And 
Yeah. So I don't have the full answer of like, why is this still so pervasive? I mean, it's multifaceted and there are so many layers that make up the stigma that yeah. still exists and why it continues. But yeah. anyhow, it is. It's, un- it's, it's ridiculous and it's really unnecessary. And it's so harmful. It is. What are some of the biggest myths you think are out there that you continually uh, have to debunk? Yeah, all the time, like some you don't look like someone who has herpes or, um, you know, like I know for sure that I'm not sleeping with someone who has herpes because I would know because their genitals are going to be a mess. Um, And, and, uh, you know, you you actually the most common symptom of all STIs, herpes included, is no symptom whatsoever. So the vast majority of people who have any STI are asymptomatic. And that word thanks to COVID, which is the only thing I'll thank COVID for this year, is that we've learned a lot about that word. And now we understand that asymptomatic means you can carry an infection, transmit it to others. They may end up having symptoms, but you might never know that you ever had it to begin with. And so that's exactly the same case when it comes to STIs, STDs. So, yeah, I mean, you you don't necessarily know. And it doesn't mean it, it's not an indicator of a certain kind of behavior. You can have one partner your entire life and contract it from them. Um, or you can have many partners and never contract it or never contract any STIs. It just, sometimes it's a numbers game and it's a little bit of chance. And because it's so common, it ends up happening to so many people. Like it's not an indicator of a personality type or a specific behavior even necessarily. Um, it really just does not play into all of those myths of like, you're slutty, you're trashy, you're damaged you're this certain kind, you look a certain way, and et cetera. None of those things apply. And and I guess probably the best and the biggest for, especially because I know so many people have it and so many people are like, yes, I understand. And yes, girl, like say it, preach it, is that when you have an STI, it doesn't mean the end of your life, the end of your sex life. It doesn't mean you're damaged and not desirable. And that is what is so pervasive. It's like you feel immediately when you contract. And I listened to your, your interview with Shan, and I just love her anyways. And I'm just like the whole thing. I was like, ah, <laughs> fangirling 100% in all directions today watching that. And um, and you were talking about how like for so many years, and I felt the same way. Like mm. I've had herpes for o- over 20 years. My herpes is old enough to drink and go out and party with me. So <laughs> at this point, <laughs> well, I, I, I contracted it when I was 16. So, yeah. you know, and you did two years. And not when you were 16, but you contracted it years ago and yeah. felt awful for so long mm-hmm. and so silly. Yeah. It's so unnecessary. Well, totally. We really want to keep you on to, to talk about, especially if you know friends and family or if someone is going through this, how can they, you know, feel comfortable and, and have a safe space to kind of disclose and, and the importance of that. So we got more show coming up. Don't go anywhere, y'all. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back with Janelle Marie Pierce, certified sexuality educator and executive director of the STI Project as we continue to talk about STIs, our own experience with herpes. Well, not Ryan's. You just, you know, know about it through me. Uh, I'm happy. I feel so... Because, well, one, you're the, as you know, like, you never know, right? Yeah. You never know. But someone who's publicly spoken out about it and told me and disclosed to me in that way, like, uh, it felt it felt special. It felt like there was a trust. And, mm. and I think a lot of times people don't have the thoughts that they have because they haven't had came in contact with someone who's been who's able to feel so honest and vulnerable. Yeah, which is why it's, it's important if it, you, you are in a place to do it, a safe space to do it, to share. Uh, Janelle, welcome back. And let's talk about having these conversations. What tips do you have? Because I even 
went to your Instagram and your even your course, like I, I signed up for a whole thing where you talked about like tips in terms of disclosure and sharing this with people because this is the hardest part of it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, especially with potential partners, you know, like, because that's the absolute, and you, you spoke to in, in that, in that interview with Shan about some of the things that I talk about when, when we are so afraid of a rejection and that's the number one question I get around once somebody is diagnosed is, and it doesn't matter what STI herpes in particular is incredibly stigmatized and, and it's forever. So we get a lot of folks in our in our courses and, and such talking about that experience, but it doesn't matter either way. And the, the fear is that somebody is going to instantly reject me, like I'll never be able to have a good uh-huh. sex life again, healthy sex life, et cetera. And that's largely untrue. But what's happening is we're really internalizing and projecting our, how we're feeling about ourselves. We're convinced in, that we are no longer desirable, lovable and wanted and we can't we're we're looking for that confirmation bias so that's the number one fear yeah. that that we have is that like this they're going to for sure say no because i'm already saying no for myself because i who would want me now as a result of this and and the fact is that's not really how psychologically it works hmm. um but i guess to go back to your original question of when we're talking about disclosure and some tips, I guess I can give some tips that are probably helpful. But I think probably to preface all of that is like not everyone has the luxury and um, is able to be as public as like we are about it right now. And I don't think that that's, that everybody needs to do that in order to be an activist or an advocate and to be empowered about their status. Like everyone comes to the table with a certain level of privilege and I'm white, cisgendered, primarily heterosexual, primarily cisgendered, um, at least in terms of outward appearances. That's how I pass. So that affords me a lot, a level of safety in having these conversations. So maybe the only conversation you're having is amongst partner, mm-hmm. a partner or partners, and that's fine. Maybe you all, you have the privilege and, and you have some lovely friends and family around you that you may want to share it with. And that's cool too, but you definitely don't have to be public about your status. But if it's just sharing with a potential partner, I mean, there's so many things that allness and the responsibility always gets placed on the person who has the STI, but I really want to reframe that and flip it on its end of like, this is a conversation about sexual health, about our overall needs, wants, and boundaries. And so the person who has the STI, like, yes, of course, the most ethical thing is we need to disclose before putting someone at risk. And it's so beautiful that you were talking about your experience here too, because I do the same of like, I didn't always ethically disclose. And I initially started talking about that and saying like, yeah, I actually put people at risk without telling them that I had herpes and that's not an awesome thing to do, but it doesn't make me a wholly bad person. It's like right. a, if we don't address it and admit that these things happen, we can't fix the problem. So anyhow, of course we want to try to <laughs> disclose before putting people at risk all the time, because that. Um, and informed, fully informed consent can only happen if that's the case. But then after that, it's a mutual reciprocal discussion of like, what are your, what are your status? Um, yeah. What tests have you had? And what are your needs and boundaries? And what things would you like to do to reduce risk, et cetera? It's not just a one-way conversation mm-hmm. of like, I need to admit this horrible thing about me because that person may also have some things that they want to share, disclose, like maybe they have a kink, a fetish, an interest, 
um, and or just a hard boundary in some direction. And all of those things should be talked about. But we don't have yeah. a lot of good examples of that. We got to let people just live their lives and not judge them for it. Because I think that's yeah. where a lot of the, the stigma comes from through the judgment and the shaming and all that. And um, I just appreciate you sharing for one, just being completely courageous and brave to, to let the world know your story. Because there is... Uh, some stress that comes with visibility. It's important, yes, but it can be a lot. And so I appreciate you both for constantly, um, you know, talking about the things that are important, what we need to talk about, the necessary conversations. Well, right. We all have vulnerabilities. We all have things that we experience Mm -hmm. some kind of shame around. And most people experience some kind of sexual shame, which is a whole different experience from a psychological perspective. And like to do that, again, our culture doesn't encourage Mm -hmm. vulnerability, but vulnerability breeds intimacy. So when we start opening ourselves up, it's like, oh, wait, now I'm now you're kind of safe. And now I can share this with you. And you still may say, like, that's not a good for me or that's going to be a stop for me and I can't move forward. And everyone's still is going to have an opinion about whatever it is that gets shared in that moment, but it it offers an opportunity to do that. Whereas if we come to this kind of relationship thing of like everything is perfect and we're always showing just our best foot forward, that's just not reality. Like we are human and we're all faulted and we all have things that are hard to talk about. Janelle, we need to have a longer discussion. I'm going to hit you up offline. We so appreciate you for joining us, though, today for this very important discussion. It is my absolute pleasure. You're amazing. That was Janelle Marie Pierce, Certified Sexuality Educator, Executive Director of the SDI Project. Check them out. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, an interesting stat recently came up. According to Bankrate's August Jobs Seeker Survey, approximately 55% of American adults are planning a job switch. That's like more than half of the country. Which uh, is not that surprising considering what we went through in the pandemic of 2020. A lot of people are thinking about their lives and what they actually want to do. What's their purpose? And a lot of people are switching things up. Yeah, I feel this um, because I, I think it's so important to, I don't know, one, I think when coming out of the pandemic, it was one of those things where People were like, I'm no longer taking the crap that I was taking all the time from my boss through just being unhappy. Life is too short. We deserve more than this. And I I, I see it, it's kind of sh- not shocking, but it's it's honestly one of those things was like, what took us so long? Why did it take a pandemic for us to get to that point? Trauma does that. <laughs> no, trauma does do that. Yeah. Well, joining us to tell us more of... Uh, what to do if you do want to change careers? What's that first step? Chelsea J, nationally certified resume writer and career coach who Ooh. owns Seasoned and Growing. What is that? Sounds like a business. <laughs> it is, yes. And thank you both so much for having me. As you said, I'm a resume writer and career coach. So back in 2017, I officially opened up my agency, which is Season and Growing. Beautiful. And oh. if you're wondering about the name, it's because we're all seasoned in something and we're continuously growing. So that's where that came from. Well, I mean, I figured. <laughs> but I think, because it's beautiful. I mean, it's, like, it's, it's great. Um, but I, I do think there's something about the art of the pivot and how people were able to pivot in ways and are trying to figure out how to pivot in ways 
um, because they're just tired of the same old, same old after going through such a traumatic year. What do you have to say to, to those people trying to just figure it out? Because it's, it's, it's a lot easier said than done. It absolutely is. And the new buzzword, like you said, that we've heard over the past year is career change. And the first thing that I highly recommend is to determine whether or not you need a career change versus a company change, because those are two different things, right? So you need to figure out whether you truly want to dive into a new industry or a different role. Are you sick of the day-to-day things that you are doing? Or versus a company change, you enjoy the overall goals and the day-to-day activities in your role, but you're tired of, you know, working in a toxic work environment or for a disrespectful boss or for a company whose values don't align with yours. So once you, yes, once you make that determination, then you can really move forward where you start to discover what your why is. Because if you are truly looking to change careers, the first thing that people are going to ask you, especially in networking and interviewing, is why? Why do you want to make this change? So you need to have a solid and confident answer to that. Well, with that said, that's the big question. How do you discover your why, including if you're in a place of burnout, right? That could be really difficult. Absolutely. When you are in a place of burnout, you really need to lean on your network, right? Lean on your people, the people that excite you, boost you up and lift your spirits, because those are often your best resources for self-reflection, because you have friends and family members who will tell you all the time the things that you're good at or the things that you seem passionate about, because when you're in that stage of burnout, it's hard to think outside of yourself. So take time to ask people who you trust and who are around you, hey, what do you think I'm good at? And most of the time, it'll help something click within you so that you can realize, oh, yes, that's something that I can apply my skills and experience to and that actually lights me up and I enjoy it. I mean, that's great yeah. advice. I think it, it is hard to get perspective on your life when you're in that place. So relying on the people you love and asking those questions like, what do you what do you see me being good at? Right. It's almost like doing a survey with your close uh, community or tribe. Right. I think that is a really big thing. That Unless helps. you don't have that and you just don't have anyone to tell you how good you are at things. Because that can be also a thing. That is true. Because, I mean, during the pandemic, we were by ourselves. There wasn't that many people around unless you had your own Well, I'm talking, yeah, virtually. Or there are such good communities, uh, Facebook groups of people that are, you know, in in different, I I would say, then subcategories and communities that you could be a part of that are also going through that. But that actually brings me to my my next thought, uh, specifically about that. How do you know who's giving you the right advice? And that's why I said you have to be mindful of who you're getting that advice from. So lean on people that you trust. And something that I always recommend is surrounding yourself with people who you are inspired by and motivated by. Mm -hmm. Get in the room with people who are in the places that you want to be because you want to learn from people who have already been there, done that, and will help you get better. So I know right now if you're one of those people who doesn't really have a strong network or, you know, close family and friends that you can trust, this is one of those times where you have to put yourself out there. There's meetups, there's LinkedIn groups, you know, think about the hobbies that you enjoy and join a local club. Get out there because you are not the only one who is looking for people to connect with. There you go. Well, that was Chelsea J, nationally certified resume writer and career coach. 
Check out also her company, Seasoned and Growing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, next up, the new study that reveals how much, uh, how many hours children should spend on their tech. This is something that a lot of us debate about. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So how much screen time for kids per day is okay? I feel like this is something that is highly debated and that researchers are really hunkering down on. I mean, it would be great to have uh, specific uh conclusions about this unfortunately because all this technology and all this behavior just kind of started it's not like like you would have to follow kids from baby to like 20s right to fully see the progression of the impact so some of these new studies do bring up some interesting points but i don't think we're really going to see the final conclusions of this for a bit of time like another decade however These researchers at the University of Colorado Boulder did find something interesting, and it's a bit surprising. Okay, they said that computers, TV, or text, when kids spend five hours a day on screen, it doesn't appear to be harmful. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I never understood the the worries that oftentimes parents felt when it came to having too much screen time or playing video games. We already know video games that's been debunked when it comes to it it creating um, like the the correlation of video games and gun violence. I feel like that has been debunked in a lot of um, studies and things like that. But I, I've never understood the worries about giving kids screen screen time. I grew up on screen time. I had video games. I had television. I also played outside. I also went to summer camp. Like, I had a beautiful balance. Um, but for me, I loved having my screen time, right? I think for me now, as I'm doing what I'm doing and and realizing, kind of connecting the dots of, like, how I got here, I think a lot of that was because I was watching a lot of television that informed a lot of the things that I wanted to do. And I feel yeah. like if we continue to... Um, one, deprive kids of having the opportunity to have screen time because we're so worried that they're going to have all these negative side effects that I feel like we're also cutting off a generation of like the next people that we would see that would love to be in different storytelling and different mediums through media. And I think that's harmful and I think that's just honestly not okay. I think you have to obviously everything is a balance and Mm -hmm. everything is, you know, about portions, but I think as of that, I, I just hate that sometimes people correlate a lot. If a kid has a lot of screen time, they correlate that to, oh, your your parenting skills are awful. And that's just not fair. Yeah, I can see that. That's sh- the shame around that really does suck. I think that there's a difference between access and dependency. I think just like anything there could be real addictions around this stuff where like when you are taking something away from but it is a child children are have developing brains right and they are children babies right they're gonna yeah. cry if you take something away from them right. it doesn't mean like it's like they're gonna have this long-term addiction to this however i i do believe it's all about ex- extremes right and balance so if all someone is doing is that right then there could be an issue if they What's do the present, but they they do present a passion or an interest in something that's also different. But sure, what's the difference between us as adults and all we do is screen time versus like a kid? 
No, I, I think we should all be looking at this stuff. Let's be clear. We shouldn't just be putting on the kids. I'm just saying, I just, I think there's oftentimes this, this nece- like unnecessary like worry about children. When kids are at the end of the day, if they're not doing it at your house, guess what? When they go over to their friend's house or when well, they're at, like they're, they're playing the video games, they're doing whatever, they, they're getting the screen time that they're, they're making up for because you're cutting them off like a dictator Here's of some sort. Here's the sorts. thing. Yes, you're not going to help the situation if you're being rigid and having all these stringent rules, right? I think it's more about getting kids to understand why they're doing something and that there's a choice, right? And then offering the different choices and also creating, it depends what kind of, I think, household you want to create. Do you want to create a household where people are, you know, you're going outside, you're going walks, you're connecting in different ways with each other without this in the middle of you? And my worry is the dependency on that. Uh, So yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I just must say that this was not a causal study. It was um, correlation. They did find negative things that we were going to still figure out more about this, which does bring up a lot of flags for me. They said they found more screen time predicted higher levels of attention problems, worse sleep, poor academic performance, and an increase in aggression and misbehavior. However, it's it's still um, a correlation, not a causation. Where it means like they they're not sure if it's exactly the screen time um, creating that or if like that person's already aggressive and someone is pushing them to like be on their screen as a solution. Does that make sense? So there you go. Uh, let us know how you deal with this with your kids or how you want to deal with screen time if you do have kids in the future at LGT shows. Where yeah, because I ain't trying to have media. no damn kids anytime soon. And and maybe my this is my opinion now. It won't be my opinion when I have kids. Exactly. Things change. Who knows? Well, next up, two big music festivals announced what's going on with who can attend, whether you can attend with a vaccine or not. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, some of the biggest music festivals are now coming out about whether you need to be vaccinated to attend. Well, there's one big festival only doing it so far that we know of. Well, Coachella, it seems like they're switching. Oh, I thought it is just Coachella. It is just Coachella. So, Coachella attendees will no longer be required to be vaccinated against the coronavirus to gain entry to the music festival. This was actually a change of policy on their website. So, instead of getting vaccinated, attendees can enter with proof of a negative COVID test within 72 hours of arrival. Yeah, so Life is Beautiful was earlier in September, September 17th through the 19th. And they actually, their guidelines was that you had to be vaccinated. You had to have, um, you had to provide proof that you are fully vaccinated against COVID-19 and provide proof of a negative COVID test. Um, and it must be obtained within 72 hours leading up to the, the festival. Now, the fact that Coachella is now just saying, you don't got to be vaccinated. You just have to, I mean, are they even saying that you just have to be, you just have to have a negative test? Yeah. That for me makes me uncomfortable. It's irresponsible and it shows that they only care about capitalism. Probably. And also, it, I'm sure they might be getting some pushback from some of the artists. As we've seen a lot, there That's are true. artists here and there that don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's, here's the thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. It's irresponsible. I don't necessarily... I. I I like music festivals. I don't really like being in the middle of all the, that chaos. 
in a lot of people. That's not my thing. Yeah, I, agree. I wouldn't have gone anyway. Probably. No, I would. Well, we would have gone maybe if we had our house. It was like in our safe in our house. <laughs> Which might happen. Who knows? Hey. No, I want to go to the festival. I like the festival. I, I like the t- festival. I've had a good time at the festival. When, I mean, there's a lot of walking you do. Those stages are really far from each other. At any rate. True. But um, the you thing just is. Sound, oh, maybe it's not for you. Maybe you just <laughs> aged out the demographic. But here's the thing is that there are so many places, the reality is that we're at these days where um, public venues where you don't really know. Like they could say, oh, you need to have a vaccine to get in. It's not like they're checking it. And so, well, like, that's the reality. I've, Look I've at planes. Gone, You're flying. I mean, I've you gone have a mask. To some, I know, but I've gone to some places, and they have most definitely checked. Like, I just went to a concert on Monday, and, like, they most definitely checked. And that was in an enclosed space. This is outdoors. The reason why I'm so shocked about the Coachella thing is because that was a reversal. Like, they had an August announcement that said something completely different. Um, and it, it just... It, it makes no sense. Actually, the company a- AEG Presents, the live events company behind Coachella, said um, beginning October 1st, all ticket holders to their events must be vaccinated. So now they're having this complete, like, what, 180? And yeah. it's just like, what? I also think, well, they probably got pushed back internally, you know, and because of capitalism. Even, if, then, it was, even but, if it was just talent. Okay, but at least make, because talent is going to be somewhere else. Like, they're going to be behind the scenes. They're not going to be near people. They're going to be on the stages. Maybe they were finding their ticket sales were low. And that's why I said it. It, it feels like a move for uh, capitalism. Yeah, so I almost then, said communism. <laughs> so, but then also, if we look at the numbers, and this is the reality, I don't, I'm not going to say we're on the other side of things, but we've been talking to a lot of infectious diseases experts, and I do think because of people like us who got vaccinated, the people that maybe still don't want to, they might, are they in the clear now? It's like, okay, nope. now it's like s- somewhat safe for everyone far, we to bu- safely hang out. No, Dr. Amesh has told us that we are far from that immune, uh, imi- what herd a, immunity. Yeah, herd immunity crap. We not, we're never going to achieve that because so many people refuse to get on that. The, the bad thing is people going to go to this festival, catch COVID, and give it to other folks who are not vaccinated. Like, I'm going to be fine. But I also can take, yeah, I can also get it and bring also. it back to other folks. So it's like, it's just, it's unfortunate that they're reversing this decision. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's worth it. I'd rather them just say we're going to have less people because exactly. there's not, a, we don't want a lot of people here. Like we, you know, a, a, an appropriate amount. It, that is unfortunate. And it sets a precedent for other ones, right? Because now all the others will be pressured or maybe they'll do the right thing yeah in all honesty the best experience of watching coachella is from doing it on your couch watching the live stream that's what i'm talking about it's true i've done it once super vip and it's pretty it's good you still sound old. <laughs> you do. well there you go old age shira here signing off for my coachella story your wheelchair uh, is at the door <laughs> at least it has its uh, lights a lit up wheelchair. All right. And bling and everything. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're wrapping up the shows we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes Queen. You know, uh, Jojo Seaweed. Siwa. Oh, Seaweed. Jojo Seaweed. <laughs> continues to do great things. You know, the teen sensation is now on Dancing with the Stars. Um, it's the first female dance couple on the show. Mm-hmm. So that has been huge. I mean, yes. she's done so much for her generation and so much more. She is paired with Jenna Johnson. But in her latest waltz, she um, 
ended up wearing a suit, and people are, are celebrating how gender bending it is, and it's something that hasn't been done on the they show. They must before. be only straight people, because I'm like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> she wore a suit, whatever. But I mean, she's doing it. She's bold. She's young. I think the real yes queen goes to the fact that guess what? What? She's giving up her bows. That's what I'm talking about. That's actually a really big yes Fashion queen. Fashion evolution. She she said that she's, you know, evolving and she's ready to kind of go into this new era of her life and she's leaving the bows behind her. Wow. I know, okay, it's a big move. Congrats. I mean, it did make her a lot of money, but sometimes you just gotta... Oh, she's still gonna make money. Doesn't mean she has to the wear next them. Stage of your life. Yeah, yeah I right? think she realized that being like, um, I'm getting paid for these. I don't have to wear them. <laughs> That's true. Well, a big yes, Queen to JoJo Siwa for continuing to just do great stuff and mm-hmm. definitely inspire. And that also does it for our show today. But we are back tomorrow, same time, two to six p.m. Pacific, five to nine p.m. Eastern, live here on Channel Q with music, talk, and so much more. We're gonna be getting into. You know, the announcement about not taking a daily aspirin anymore to prevent heart attack or stroke. What's that all about? We're breaking it all down tomorrow. Plus, Adele tried sound baths for stress. Well, do they work? What are they? That is on tomorrow's show. If you miss any of our interviews or shows, we post everything as a podcast. So just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Now stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris right after this, where he's talking about porn literacy. That's next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Get your head in the financial game with smart investing and budgeting tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's experts will set future you up for success with dependable fact-based insights. No financial misinformation allowed. Learn how to save on your summer vacation, find your next credit card, or loan for a big purchase, and invest in your next index fund. Make smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app.